Oil crashes and bank failures, this is Industry Focus. Financial analyst Christine Harges here with senior banking specialist John Maxfield all the way from Portland. John, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot, Christine. So let's dive right in. Oil prices, as I'm sure most of us realize, have fallen tremendously over the past half year. Back in June 2014, a barrel of Brent crude oil traded for $111. But today, we're looking at that same barrel trading for 46 That's a 59% decline. I mean, I know I personally have been pumped, no pun intended, every time I've gone to fill up my tank recently. But let's look at this not just as consumers, but as investors, and particularly banking investors. So the last time that the price of oil dropped like this was in the early 1980s, and it triggered a wave of bank failures to follow. John, can you fill us in some more on the history and what exactly caused these failures? Sure. So when you have dramatic movements in any type of prices, to your point, there's going to be a couple of different effects. The, the first order effects are going to be on those industries in particular. And then you're also going to have, you know, in, with, with oil, you're going to have an impact on consumers and particularly a positive impact when the price goes down. However, the problem when the price goes down is that it can drive the ability of oil companies themselves to service their debt. And as you probably know, and as our listeners probably know, we've seen a huge energy boom over the last half decade in the United States as we've figured out uh, new ways to extract oil from previously um, unknown reserves or from reserves that we didn't think we could just extract oil from. And that's created just a huge boom in business and, and new companies, new oil services companies, new exploration companies, all these things. Well, all those companies need loans, right? So when you have to see the price go down, they're going to, you know, their ability to service their debt is going go to go way down. And so the question is, what's going to happen there? And so really the only way we can, you know, get, kind of get our heads around this is to go back to the last time that oil prices fell to the, to the same degree. And now they did fall pretty demonstrably during the financial crisis, but so many other things were going on that there's really too much noise to figure to, to, to kind of tailor or to kind of pull out what the impact of oil was there as opposed to what was going on in the housing market and on, the, on those other things. So, so you've got to go back all the way to the 1980s, and this is following the 1970s when OPEC uh, had two oil embargoes protesting some, some actions by Western governments that drove the price of oil way, way up. And then at the very beginning of the 1980s, just like today, the price of oil fell by something like 50, between 50 and 60 percent, a dramatic, dramatic drop. And what we saw at the time to the point I was making earlier, was that all of those oil services companies and the oil companies themselves, they, a lot of them went out, and that put pressure on the banks that had, lent, that had lent them money. Now, what's interesting is that in the 1980s, what we saw is there was one bank in particular. It's called Penn Square Bank that was based in Oklahoma City. And they were syndicate, so they would originate loans and then syndicate them to larger money center banks in places like New York. There was, they were syndicating loans to Chase Manhattan. They were syndicating loans to Continental Illinois, which was a lar- is the, the, na- the nation's seventh largest bank at the time, and it was based in Chicago. And they were syndicated them to um, a, a big bank in Seattle, Seattle First National Bank, which was the largest bank in the Pacific Northwest, which just happens to be where I am right now. And what we saw was that when those loans went into those big banks, 
it caused them to take massive losses that undercapitalized them and then led to either their failure in Continental Illinois' case, which the FDIC came in and took over, or in Seattle First case, Bank of America had to come in at the last minute and save them. So that's kind of what you know you can expect to see if oil prices stay low for a considerable amount of time. That's not to say that, that the big ones will fail, big banks will fail, but we're certainly going to see, or I think it's safe to assume that you're going to see um, some reverberations in the banking industry. So how worried should we be now? I mean, we know a lot of banks are involved in commodities trading. And while we also know that banks are a good bit more diversified now than they were back in the 80s, do you still think that there are a good number of banks that are at risk here due to their exposure to oil? And if so, um, do you have any in particular that you've got your eye on as, as at a particularly high level of risk? So that's, that's actually a really good question. Now, to your point, Banks back in the 80s were much smaller and much less diversified than they are today. And that's the result of this deregulation movement that's been going on since, since the Reagan presidency. Before, banks had, they, they weren't really allowed on the, to, the, to a large extent to, to even bank across, inter, uh, across interstate lines. So that kept them relatively small. But as they got larger, they were able to diversify, not just geographically, but by different, sec- by different industries and sectors, which makes them a little bit more robust to a down- the downfall in any particular industry, right? And on top of that, you know, we were talking about this at the very beginning, there is a huge, I, I don't know what the statistic is, but there's, an, there's a guess that Consumers are going to save somewhere along the lines, and maybe you know this, this statistic, somewhere along the lines of $1,000, $900, stuff like that, a year from, loyal, from lower gas prices. Well, the theory is that that will recycle into spending in other areas, and because big banks control the actual payment system, more payments and larger payments will contribute to better income for the banks. And on top of that, with the decreased pressure in oil prices on the consumer, consumers themselves will be in a better position to service their debt. So that will really help the big banks on the consumer side. Now, where it will hurt them is, you know, to the point I made earlier, is in their exposure to these individual oil companies or to the sector um, in particular. Now, all, if you listen to the um, quarter of the conference calls for the fourth quarter of last year, all the big bank executives came out and said, look, there's no reason to be concerned about us because our exposure is relatively limited. And I don't remember the statistics for each of the individual banks, but it was relatively nominal compared to their capital. I think Citigroup's was something like 2%, and, and, and a lot of the other, the other banks were, were kind of right along the lines of that in terms of their direct exposure to the oil industry. Um, but the little banks, the community banks, and maybe even some regional banks are a totally different story because they're not going to be as well diversified. So what you're going to want to look for as a bank investor with this is you're going to want to look at, you know, where those banks are located and what businesses they are involved in in terms of issuing loans. And also, you're going to want to listen to or read how the management is talking about their exposure to it. The managements are just by nature going to try to minimize, you know, the potential threat to their banks. Um, But if you can kind of put all the pieces together plus listen to how they're explaining it, I think that'll put you in a better position to protect yourself and your portfolio from any fallout um, in terms of banks as a result of the lower oil prices. 
That's some great insight. Thank you for that. So the what I'm hearing is that you don't necessarily, as an investor, need to jump ship on some of your smaller bank holdings. You just need to be very careful in trying to decide what exactly their exposure is and what sort of threat is posed to them. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's generally right. I mean, in the first case, you should, anytime you go in and invest in a bank, you should be really um, very vigilant about that decision because banks themselves are innately fragile because they're so highly leveraged. So, you know, the typical bank is leveraged up about 10 to 1 on their capital. So that means that a diminution in their asset base, in the value of their assets, by 10% will completely wipe out their capital. And even, even more importantly, a diminution of even 2 or 3% in the value of their asset base will make them undercapitalized from the perspective of regulators. And that puts, them in, you know, that puts them into a different category. The regulators will come in, they will constrain their growth, will keep a better eye on them. They may even force a sale or a takeover. So you want to really, um, when you go into the banking sector, you've got to keep that in mind. And you want to go with lenders who have a long history of acting prudently through all stages of the credit cycle. That is a, that is a critical piece about bank investors about bank investing um, that I think people would, would do themselves a favor to keep in mind anytime they're thinking about buying a bank stock. Um, now, in terms of if you're owning shares in any particular bank right now, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know what the situation is with any particular ba- uh, every single bank in the country, but I would say that there are, I'm certain that there are certain banks that will be impacted more than others, and maybe even to the extent that they will go under. I, I feel I could, I could be totally wrong on this. We know we know you know how frail predictions are in terms of like how often they're they're accurate. But I feel relatively comfortable looking at history that there will be small bank failures that come out of this. Now, if so, if you think if you're looking at a bank that it, let's say it's based in Oklahoma or it's based in North Dakota or it's based in Texas and it's overexposed to oil, and their executives are out saying that they're not overexposed to oil, but you get the feeling that they are, um, then I would, I would seriously consider in that instance, as an investor, um, you know, maybe you know, trimming any potential losses from that. Um, but again, you, don't know for sh- you won't know for sure until it actually happens. So the question is, do you want to wait for that, or do you want to get out now? And here, here's, the other, here's the other point that I would make, uh, Christine, is that these shouldn't uh, displacements like this in the market should not only be looked at as a threat they should also be looked at as an opportunity again if you look at the best banks in the country over decades one of the things that you see is that they come in and take advantage of these opportunities to either scoop up competitors at a discount or to or to move in and get market share in particular industries when other people are moving out of it. So you should not only look at this as a threat to your portfolio, but also as a potential opportunity for the future. And, and along these same lines, when you're looking at these banks that are going to benefit from this presumed boost in consumer spending, I'm thinking you know, your Wells Fargo's in particular among the big banks, your U.S. Bank Corps, your M&T Bank, these banks, they will make more money on net as a result of this, um, and that, that will factor through to their share price over the long term. It'll factor into their capital base. It'll factor into how much they're paying out in dividends. It'll factor into how much they're buying back in shares. 
So for a bank like Wells Fargo, assuming that you can get it at a valuation that you're comfortable with, this may not be a bad thing uh, at all. Great takeaway. Is there anything else that you think we should add to get a, a clear picture of the situation right now with oil and banks? You know, just, I would just reiterate that whether you're talking about oil or whether you're talking about housing or any, any industry, what matters when it comes to banking is that they have a consistent history of keeping their costs low and keeping their credit losses low as well. Because credit losses are credit losses, whether it's from oil companies or whether it's from car companies or, or regardless of what kind of company it is. And there are certain rules that will dictate whether your credit losses are going to be higher or whether your credit losses are going to be lower. And you want to know that the bank you're investing in follows those rules every time, irrespective of, the, of asset price fluctuations. And so that, that's, that's really all I'd say to the individual investor, is that just look at these banks, look at their histories. If they're good at managing credit risk, I would feel much more comfortable about them right now. If they're bad at managing credit risk, you probably shouldn't have been in them in the first place. Um, but now that you are, you know, you might want to think, um, think twice about staying in there for the long term. Awesome. Thanks, John, as always, for your insightful commentary. Folks, be sure to check out Fool.com and the Industry Focus podcast for all of your investing needs and Fool on.